Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Continue in our series through the book of Acts. Be looking at verses 44 through 48, a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. We say it often, I'm amazed at, I think sometimes we discredit the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives from day to day. I think sometimes we don't realize how real the spiritual warfare, war, war, warfare is in our lives as we live day to day. I think so much of what we see as far as fighting and arguing and bickering and moaning and groaning and lack of trust and lack of faith and lack of obedience... God's word tells us our, our, our war is not against flesh and blood. It's, think about that one phrase. I was reminded this week, and uh, I, I remember preaching through most of the way to the book of Mark and realizing that Jesus, almost in every chapter, was engaged in spiritual warfare. I mean, think about it. Almost every chapter of the book of Mark you can almost see Jesus fighting demons and casting them out. And the question that came to my mind is, is that just not a thing anymore? We, that, I mean, that's, that's biblical times. It's not a deal anymore, right? I mean, that's, that's something we don't deal with anymore. Demons haven't gone anywhere. And God's Word says that a third of the hosts of heaven that was cast out along with Lucifer, guess who those third is? Those are the demons that cause warfare. I believe that. And we fight against it. And the reality is we need the Holy Spirit within us to be filled with the Spirit daily to have the ability to fight off all that goes on around us. And if your head is somewhere in the clouds and realizing it's not a deal, you're probably giving into it. Every time you have an argument, every time you have a, 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 a battle with somebody, it's probably because you're not being filled with the Spirit. I'll admit it. <laughs> it's true in my life. It's probably true in yours. And when I was reading this passage this week, what I see really is a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit that, that came while Peter was preaching. If you will recall, Cornelius sent for Peter to come to his house, right? And in the previous, last week we talked about Easter, but the week before that, Cornelius had sent for Peter to come to his house. And, and as Peter was on his way coming, Cornelius was out busy gathering his family and friends, and he wanted them to hear what Peter had to say. They, he wanted them to be there for Peter's message. The gospel message was proclaimed. Witnesses had observed his resurrection of Jesus. People were commanded to preach and bear witness of the things that they had seen, and people were forgiven of sins, and we see that in the previous text. I think it's fair to say that a bit of a revival is beginning to break out. I'd love to see that here. I'd love to see along with these pockets of revival around the United States that God would do something not over the next town over, not in the next church in the next city, but in our midst, right? I'd love to see God do something here right in our midst. I would love to see that. And I think this is a great example of something that was happening in Peter's midst 
I would love to see it happen here. Let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll read the passage and get into it. Lord Jesus, as we come before you this morning, we ask, dear Father, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our midst in such a way, Lord, that there would be a revival that would break out. And Lord, that we would turn from our sinfulness. That Lord God, that you would increase our faith. Lord God, that we would take steps of obedience. Lord God, that we would turn our back from sinfulness. And God, that we would just love you so much, Lord, that we'd want more of you and want you to work in our midst, Father. God, we pray that today. Lord, meet with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking these things, talking about the very fact that as he's in a Cornelius' house, sharing the gospel, proclaiming the truth, as he was still speaking these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the word. And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and magnifying God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for a few days. You know, as you look at the text, something begins to happen that most of us, if not all of us, have never experienced. I mean, think about it. If you take the Word of God literally, if you believe every word to be true, then you have to understand that what He says really happened, right? Can we agree on that much? Amen. So as we look at this, it says, while Peter was still preaching. Now let me just preface this for a minute. I've experienced many things while I've preached. I've had children screaming while I was preaching. At my first church, I had two families with eight kids. And I mean to tell you, it was a constant battle of who could speak louder. I won, by the way. Um, I've been told in, uh, by a hospital nurse that my voice carries like a Sherman tank. Thank you, I, understood. I understand that. But I've had people screaming, or kids screaming while I've been trying to preach. I've had people sleeping and snoring while I was preaching. And by the way, you can see a lot from up here. I've had people clipping their fingernails while I was preaching. I remember going out to this, and I tell you, in my first church, sec, first, second church, I remember this old guy, he'd come in every week, and it's like that was his Sunday routine. He'd take out his clippers, clip, 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 and every week there'd be a pile of them underneath his chair. I kid you not, ask my wife. It was like his Sunday routine. Get to church, clip my fingernails. I've had people throwing M80 firecrackers while I was preaching in India, trying to disrupt. I've had a lot of things happen in the years while I was preaching. But while Peter was preaching, and here's where I say, if you believe the Word of God and you take it literally as being true and forthright, while Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell upon all. All. He didn't say a few of them. He didn't say most of them. He didn't say some of them. He didn't say the religious ones who were really fanatics about walking with Jesus. He said while he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them. I've never experienced that. 
Can you imagine just for a moment that while the service is going on, the Holy Spirit fell upon every one of you that are sitting before me this morning. Now think about this just for a moment. Some of you would freak out because you don't know what is going on. What is happening? Get me out of here. Some of you wouldn't know how to respond. I don't know that I would. I can only remember one, I can count on one hand. My wife and I and my family, we traveled all across the country, did revival meetings for a couple years. And I can remember only on like one hand out of uh, over 100 churches where I felt the Holy Spirit had worked. Two churches in, in particular, one in Paddock Lake, Wisconsin, the other one in Texas, Normandy. When the service was over, people were sitting all over the place. There was weeping. People were getting up, going to each other, and asking for forgiveness and repenting of their sins towards one another. I mean, the, the altar was full. The, half the church was at the front getting right with God. When's the last time that we felt such a, a compulsion because the Holy Spirit is working in such a way that when I'm convicted of sin, that I'm willing to deal with it right then and there, and I don't care who sees it, I don't care who knows about it, I, it is more important for me to get right with God and draw closer to Him than it is for what anyone else may think or see or feel. What about that happening in our presence? But we're so worried about what someone else might think so worried about what someone else might say. I wonder why they're going for it. Who do they offend? Who are they getting repented for? That's our human nature. You'd be nosy. We want to know what's going on and why. But can you imagine God working in such a way that as we come to church, our heart is saying, God, work in my heart, work in my life, and if you challenge me in any way, if you convict me in any way, I am determined. I am going to get it right today. I'm not going to put it off. I'm not going to wait till next week. I'm not going to wait till I get home. I am going to deal with whatever it is that's not right with you today because I want your presence and I want your blessing. I want your hand on me today. And you're not willing to put it off. We might see a little bit of a revival start. Is it that the Holy Spirit's not here? I don't believe that. God says that we're two or three gathered. There am I in the midst. I don't doubt God is here. I don't doubt His presence. What I doubt is our willingness to let Him work. We need God to work. If God does not work through the Holy Spirit, we have no reason to be here, folks. We don't. Can you imagine Peter's preaching and the Holy Spirit comes upon everyone there who is listening to him preach? Notice what was intriguing about what was taking place. Look at verse 45. I love this. It says, and all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. I mean, think about that. Even those dirty, rotten Gentiles got the Holy Spirit. Even they got it. How can this be? We're astounded that God would actually give the Gentiles the Holy Spirit. They're not circumcised. Yeah, everyone got it. I mean... Think about that. We can understand those who are circumcised, but Gentiles? Why did God allow them to be filled with the Spirit? I love what it says in Acts chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. It says, And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit. See, God knows the heart, and God knows if He gives you the Holy Spirit, what are you going to do with them? 
He knows what you're going to do with him. He knows whether or not you're going to say, fill me with power so that I can become more obedient. Fill me with power so I can exercise my faith and, and, and serve you. In fact, I read a verse this morning. For we are his workmanship, created unto good works. Without the Holy Spirit, you will never do the works that God has called you to do in the way that he wants you to do them. But he knows that if he fills you with his spirit, you have a responsibility to let him work through you. Do you understand that? You have a responsibility that if God wants to do something through you, to let him do it. You say, well, I've never done that before. Good, today's a new day to start. It's not about your gifts or talents or abilities. I was thinking about this the other day in John 14. I think it says, and he is the gift that's in us. The Holy Spirit is the gift within us. And then we're allowing him to do what he wants to do no matter what that may be. You say, well, God hasn't gifted me that way, or God hasn't gifted me this way, and I don't have the skill to do that. Well, yeah, you're operating in the flesh. Because when you operate in the Spirit, it's not about your talents or abilities or skills, or even the lack thereof. It's about God doing what He wants to do in and through you, if you'll let Him. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. So even as they are in this room, Jews and Gentiles, and yes, even those dirty, rotten Gentiles got the Holy Spirit, he says, I made no distinction because it's about their faith. How's your faith this morning? <laughs> just ask him. Is God in control? Is God in control of every aspect of your life? That's what I want. That's what I desire. In Romans chapter 2, verse 29, says, But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. See, God says, wait a minute, I don't care if you've been circumcised or not. The reality is, I have given my Holy Spirit to all. If you're willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we're going to come back to this a little bit later, he'll give you his spirit. So here's the question then. What was the sign that the Gentiles got the Holy Spirit? What was it that motivated them to pay attention to what God was doing? Well, I'm glad you asked because this is verse 46. It says, For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and magnifying God. Then Peter answered. So two things happened. They were speaking in tongues. And they were magnifying God. You know, in the early day, a lot of times God used tongues as a sign to the unbelieving Jews. I mean, Jews had their law, right? They had their legalistic system. If you just do ABC, XYZ is the result, just do it and you'll be good. But those Gentiles, <laughs> it's a little different for them. When he comes back and says, I will use this as a sign to the unbelieving Jews that I am for them as well. I don't know how God would use it today. Maybe he would do something. I have a friend named Kimber Kaufman who went to the Philippines. And as he was there preaching away to thousands of people, he was literally up front preaching. And as he would say a few words, his interpreter would say a few words. He would preach a few words, his interpreter would say a few words. Did that for the entire service. After the service, three men came up to the interpreter and, and said, would you ask the speaker a question? He said, yes. 
And they asked the speaker the question. He says, why did you have to repeat everything he said? He says, I don't understand what you're saying. He said, we understood our preacher just fine. And then you repeated everything he said. News to the speaker, he says, I don't know your language. But guess what? Thousands that were gathered there, many of them unbelievers that night, heard him speak in their language. That doesn't happen today. It did. In the presence of many people. Hundreds. And that happened on two different trips that he went on to the Philippines. You say, God can't work like that today? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Question is, you're sitting there saying, that didn't happen. That didn't, there's no way that could happen. Really? Is God in a box? What would happen if God's Holy Spirit would come upon us? Here's another one. (laughs) Not only were they speaking in tongues, they're magnifying God. Let me say that again. They were magnifying God. Did you catch that? What does it mean to magnify God? Well, if I put something under a magnifying glass, what am I doing to what is observed? I'm making it bigger. They were magnifying God. They were making much of God. Let that sink in. Just saturate that in your minds for a minute. When I go about my day, do I even think about God? We think about what's on TV. We think about what's happening in politics. We think about what's happening in the sports world. We think about what's happening with the weather. We think about what's happening with our car. We're thinking about the groceries we have to get next week. We're thinking about the fact that we got to stop at the gas station and get some gas. We're thinking about our children and what they're up to. We're thinking about our, you know, our children's jobs and whether or not they're going good or not. We're thinking about our kids' relationships. We're thinking about everything. Are we magnifying God? See, when the Holy Spirit works within us and begins to permeate our hearts and our minds, we bring God into the subject. We put God into the middle of the picture. And we start asking questions like, how does God want to use this situation? How does God want to be glorified through this struggle? How does God want to... want to shape me and mold me and what is he trying to teach me through this difficulty see when i give way to the holy spirit's work in my life things begin to change god gets magnified or it's just an overwhelming problem that i can't deal with it's either a problem or a project a problem is something you don't know how to deal with project is something god turns into an opportunity to praise him later it's not over Another verse I want to highlight in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, says this, But to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Think about that. For who among men knows the depths of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the depths of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may what? What's the word? Say it together. What is it? No. 
so that we may know the depths graciously given to us by God. Of which depths we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual depths with spiritual words. Now think about this. If you take literally what he just said, think about this. He said, it's not just what someone is teaching you. I can give you a handout that says the Holy Spirit does this, this, and this. Right? I can say, look at this scripture, this scripture, and this scripture, and you can say, okay, I get it, I understand. But he said, that's not the type of circumstance that I'm talking about. He's talking about your experience of drawing close to God and letting God through the Holy Spirit know who He is. That's exactly what He's saying. Of which depths we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual depths with spiritual words. Verse 14, But a natural man does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God. What's a natural man? A person who does not have the Holy Spirit, a person who's not saved. You say, well, none of this makes sense. It could be that this is the reason why. It says, but the natural man does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually examined. But he who is spiritual examines all things, yet he himself examined by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he, that he will direct him? <coughs> But we have the mind of Christ. How can you know the depths of God? By allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and your life. And as you draw close to Him and begin to know Him and cultivate the relationship with the Holy Spirit, you say, well, Pastor, is it, you're, you're talking like it's, a, like, like it's some type of intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. Yep, you got that right. It is a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He lives within us, and we need to be filled with Him daily as you spend time in God's Word and get to know Him. And we see oftentimes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22, as we said, not only were they magnifying the Lord, but tongues were used as a sign. In 1 Corinthians 14, 22, it says, So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign to, to unbelievers, but to those who believe. God says, I will use this even to impact those who do not yet know me. Bottom line is, we cast off all that stuff. Holy Spirit, yeah, you're getting a little freaky on me. Just saying. Folks, apart from the Holy Spirit's working in our lives, we'll never know God as we ought. We'll never do as we ought from the things that God is working in our hearts to do until we surrender and get to know Him. What was Peter's response? We see that in Acts here, <coughs> verses 47 and 48. So the response is he is sharing the gospel. He's proclaiming it to all those who are at Cornelius' house. The Holy Spirit comes upon everyone that was there. They begin speaking in tongues. They begin magnifying God. What was Peter's result as these people were getting saved? Verse 47 and 48. Can anyone refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for a few days. 
you know, two observations. He asked if there was any reason why these who had received the Holy Spirit shouldn't be baptized. So I asked the question that Peter asked. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if His Holy Spirit indwells you, why have you not been baptized if you're not baptized? Why? Peter asked the question. Begs us to answer the question. If you are not biblically baptized, but you know Jesus, why not? Why? What reason would we have? I think I've shared this story once. I had one person come up to me years ago and say, Pastor, I'm just very shy. I'm just very nervous. Could we come over to the church on Saturday and get baptized when nobody's there? I'm just, I'm just really shy. And I said, nope. And he looks at me and goes, well, how come? What does it matter when I do it or why I do it if nobody's there? I said, because it is a public testimony. It is a public profession of faith. It says publicly before all mankind, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It really is a big deal. It tells everybody, I want to identify with Jesus Christ publicly, and I'm not ashamed of it. I would encourage you, if you know Jesus Christ, and you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you should take that step of obedience. Peter asked the question, is there any reason why these who had received the Holy Spirit shouldn't be baptized? And then he says he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It says publicly, I identify with Jesus, my Savior, my Master. Everything that had happened followed the exhortation that we see in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When I look at this passage, I say, Wow, the Holy Spirit is just come upon them, giving them a fresh anointing. I don't know about you, but I want that. I desire that. I pray for that every week, that the Holy Spirit would work in our midst. And can I just tell you, God has been working. I don't talk about this enough. I don't talk about it enough. I don't know why. I just I get in a hurry, and I get in a mindset, i got to get this done and this done, I'm going to talk about this, and then my kids say, Dad, you're taking too long for announcements, and you just need to shut up and be quiet and let, let Stephanie do it, and then you add to it for another half hour, just be quiet. I know, I understand. I talk too much. But let me tell you what God is doing. In the last several months, we've seen people in this congregation put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's been more people saved in the last two years than the first ten years that I was here. I praise God for that. Remember in the last year, in 2022, we've had seven or eight baptisms. That's more than we've ever had in the last first ten years I was here. God is at work. I've seen people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and now they're growing and asking questions about things that they're reading. Did you know that after you get saved, you're supposed to read the Bible and pray? Who would have thunk it? Right? And all of a sudden, they're doing it and asking questions. Getting holier than thou on me, holy ruler. Who would have thunk it? That's a good thing. If you've lost your excitement... Let me just tell you, the Bible is not a boring book. It's full of exciting things that God reveals about himself so that we may trust him more and have more anticipation of him working in our lives. Wow, so what are some observations that we can take away from the passage? Let me give you four. Number one, the Holy Spirit is real and at work powerfully around us. He's at work. And if you don't see it, maybe you need to get a little closer. Lean into him a little bit more, the God and his word and prayer. 
possibly even get saved. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You realize that God's word is real clear about this? He says, for with the heart one believes, but with the, say it again, mouth confession is made. Are you willing to proclaim Jesus? Put your faith and trust in him alone. The Holy Spirit is real and working powerfully around us. Number two, the Holy Spirit is available to all who will repent and let God work in their heart. He's available. It's not just for some. Not just for those who are spiritual. Not for this, those who are more, you know, wanting so God to do something and see something, see something unique in their life. He's available to all of us. Number three, there should really be evidence that the Holy Spirit resides in you. You see, as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon them, it wasn't like, oh, three days later it happened. It wasn't like, oh, a year ago it, well, I, I, I put my faith a year ago, but I, I just got them. <laughs> no, no. Immediately, there were signs that the Holy Spirit had affected them. Speaking in tongues, magnifying Lord. What are the evidences in your life? You and God know this. You and God know the evidences, if there are some, of a right relationship with Him. I'm absolutely convinced it's been years, if ever, that some of you have sensed the Holy Spirit working in your life. Do you realize that when the Holy, He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will do what? One of His jobs is to convict you of sin. How is it that we can live in sin and we're not bothered by it? How is it that we can laugh at dirty jokes and not think a thing about it? How is it that we can set things before our eyes and say, ah, oh, it's not that big a deal? It is a big deal if you desire holiness and righteousness. How is it that we can not turn our back on sin if the Holy Spirit resides within us? There should really be evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work within us. And it's not just sometimes. It should be all the time. And number four, if you have received the Holy Spirit, you should follow the Lord and believer's baptism as a step of obedience. You should. It's the first step of obedience if I'm putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a question Peter asks. I think it's a fair question for us to answer. Have you been biblically baptized? Have you unashamedly, publicly, professed your faith in Jesus Christ and said, I want to identify with him in front of God and everybody? 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? Stop right there. You're not your own. Think that about that one phrase. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, He owns you. And let me just say, just as He doesn't force you to get saved, you are publicly saying, Lord, you have me. I give myself to you. I give you ownership of my life. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, for you are bought with a price. You know what that price was? His blood. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Think about that just for a moment. He 
owns us. Which means he has total control and authority over us. If we're willing to submit it. I don't know about you, but those are big challenges for me. I want the Holy Spirit to be at work. I want Him to control me every day of my life. I want to be obedient to Him. I want there to be evidence of God's working in my life. I feel like every time I shut my mouth when I want to say something, oh, thank you, Lord, save me again. (laughs) Evidence. I don't want to say something I shouldn't say or think something I shouldn't think or do something I shouldn't do. My flesh wins too often. I want the Holy Spirit to win. I don't know about you, but how has God challenged you through this? And the question is, will you respond in obedience? See, it's one thing to be challenged by it. Ah, I'm challenged. I need more of the Spirit. What will you do about it? Walk out and say, well, that was different. Or walk out and say, God, I have your Holy Spirit living within me and I need to be filled with you daily. God, I'm going to commit to spending time with you. I will pray. I will read my Bible. I will be vocal about my faith. I will take steps of obedience. I'll turn my back on sin with your help. You can only do that when you desire for the Holy Spirit to work within you. And it's not about what I tell you, as he said. It's more about what you get from spending time with him. See, nobody can give that to you. you got to desire it. The question is, do you desire it? Lord, I pray that you would work in all of our hearts. God, I pray that you wouldn't just challenge us, but that you would change us. And God, that we would be willing to take steps of obedience when we are challenged so that we can be changed and realizing, dear Father, Lord, that we can't do it in and of ourselves. We're not strong enough. We're not powerful enough. We're not good enough. God, there's nothing we can do. It's all about what we are asking you to do and allowing you to do in our lives. So, God, I pray that you would work. Don't just challenge us. Change us. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed as we do each and every week. We have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. And your response is important because what we do with what we hear will be accountable for before God. So how does God want you to respond? What does God want you to do differently because of what you've learned today? Maybe we need to start with just saying, God, forgive me. There's sin in my life. There's things that you've challenged me. Because even James says, to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. So maybe this morning, I just need to start by saying, God, forgive me of my sin. There's things I should be doing. List them before God. He knows them anyway. And saying, God, please forgive me. I repent of that. Maybe this morning he said, God, forgive me. I haven't drawn close. I haven't begged for the Holy Spirit to work in my life. And because of it, I don't sense it. But I want it. Would you just take a moment and talk with God? Right now, in this moment.
Just take a moment and talk with God. How does God want you to respond to what you've heard? say, Pastor, God's challenged my heart. God's convicted me of some areas of sinfulness. By God's grace and with his help through the Holy Spirit, we're going to make some changes. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes. Yes. All over the back, sides. All over. Just take a moment and let, allow this moment to be a moment of commitment and surrender. Draw close to God in this moment. Just talk. Let's all stand to our feet. Lord, we do thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we ever draw closer to you, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, to, Lord, accomplish in and through us, Lord, what we could never accomplish apart from you, because your Holy Spirit's doing it. Lord, fill us daily, each hour throughout the day, with your Spirit. And I pray, dear God, that we would walk in obedience and faithfulness to you. I pray, dear Father, Lord, that you'd work in the hearts of everyone who raised their hand this morning. Lord, that all of us really would desire a closer walk with you. Lord, we desire evidence to be seen that your Spirit is at work. God, we pray for you, pray for your Spirit, Lord, to be magnified. Lord, that we would magnify you as, as Peter's sermon did, Lord, that people began to show their evidence of the Spirit at work. May we make much of Jesus. May we make may we make much of our Father. Lord God, do a work in and through us, Lord, that we can't do ourselves. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.